What's up, y'all? This is Ramel Watley, and welcome to Truck and Hustle, the podcast for trucking entrepreneurs. If you want to learn about the trucking industry from the business side of things, you're in the right place. Every week, I interview the people who are making it happen on a daily basis. I get them to share their successes, their failures, and sometimes even their secrets. The goal is to show you how you too can create financial freedom in the booming trucking industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Because I know a lot of the larger fleets are going to obviously, you know, event, you know, have the, the autonomous vehicles. But for the smaller fleet owners, right, which we talked about earlier, like they represent the 90, 90 something percent of the trucking industry. Right. How, how do they be? How do they get in the game? Yeah. So I don't know if they get in autonomy. Ultimately, I think what they do is they play in the ecosystem where they're most competitive. And that, you know, that's no different than without autonomy. Right. Like and, and, and as we were talking before we started recording, you know, I, I think people need to understand what they're good at. Some guys are good at drainage. Some guys are good at long haul. Some guys are good at flatbed. Some guys like know what you're good at. Right. And be the best at it. And you will be able to compete. That That's one. Turn my mic up. Take there. Yeah, yeah, uh. On the road to the riches. Life takes a toll like bridges. Good friends become foes and snitches. Better watch who knows in your business. All right, Hustle Fam, we are back broadcasting live from Manifest in not so sunny Las Vegas. It's a little cold out here. But I have the uh, pleasure sitting here with me is Mr. James Reed. Newly named the CEO of Kodiak. That's right. Kodiak, formerly of USA Truck. Correct. All right. So, uh, man, I want our audience to learn a little bit about you, but I also want to tell them about what you have going on currently. So we're not going to spend too much time on the past. We want to talk more about the future, right? For sure. So just if you could give them a little bit of a brief background of yourself, just kind of like the quick elevator style. Who is James Reed? Yeah. Well, from a work background, uh, you know, I was a tech guy. I spent 14 years in Silicon Valley. I worked for companies like Intel and EMC and T-Mobile. Um, and I kind of randomly ended up in the trucking business back in 2012. I was a CFO at a company called Interstate Distributor up in Tacoma, Washington. Subsequently became the CFO of USA Truck. And just a few weeks after arriving there, was named as the CEO. So that's kind of like my, back, my job background, yeah. who I am. Um, you know, I'm a father of six kids. I'm married to a beautiful, wonderful woman, my high school sweetheart. For, we've been married 30 years. We've got five grandkids. And as I told you earlier, we got a cattle ranch. So we do all <laughs> kinds of weird stuff at our house, but it's great. Yeah, I like the way you made a distinction, like, this is what I do, but this is who I am. Right. right. For real, for real. So you said you started out as CFO at USA Truck and then shortly became CEO. Yeah. How'd that happen? <laughs> well... <laughs> I want to be delicate in case yeah, the yeah, former be, CEO is listening. Be delicate, be delicate. So USA Truck had had uh, four CEOs in a five-year period. So they had just had this immense turnover. And when I got there, within maybe a month or so of my arrival, the board had made the decision with the sitting CEO to go a different direction. And so they asked me uh, for a list of names in the industry that would be good candidates. I gave them 10 names. My name was not on that list. And the chairman approached me and said, hey, like, would you be interested in this? And I said, you know, I'm in my dream job. I'm the CFO of a public company and I've only been in for a few weeks. You know, I, I didn't come here to be the CEO. He convinced me to apply, went through the process. And on uh, January 29th of 2017, I was named as the CEO. Got it. 
being the CEO of a publicly traded company, how challenging is that? And what are some of the type of day-to-day things that you have to go through? I know you have to obviously report to investors and so yeah. forth and so on. So tell me about that. All right, guys, Truck and Hustle has now partnered with Transpo CFO, powered by Venning. Transpo CFO offers a streamlined monthly subscription for businesses to consolidate their accounting, payroll, and tax needs into one flat monthly rate, saving businesses a tremendous amount of time and money while making their financial operations much smoother for the long road ahead. Check out Transpo CFO in the description below and tell them Truck and Hustle sent you. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah. uh, So for any of your listeners who are growing businesses and they think they might someday want to be public, I'd probably advise them not to do that. Um, Look, it's a great experience. I mean, for for on the one hand, you're the steward of the company, you're the public face of the company. uh, You get to build the culture of the company was probably the single most important thing that our team did. You get to build a team and you get to coach that team. So it's an incredible experience in that regard from a responsibility standpoint, uh, you're accountable, as you said, to shareholders, which means you've got SEC requirements, you've got reporting requirements, you've got quarterly board meetings, you've got quarterly earnings that you have to do an earnings call with, you you get to deal with investors, and I say deal with it, that sounds pejorative. The, the investors are an imp- important and vital part of any thriving company, private or public, but there's just a lot of um, overhead with being a public company that you don't have in a private company. So there's, I would have rather spent more time with the drivers and more time in the business than I did. But at the end of the day, the most fulfilling part, and I know this wasn't your question, but was knowing that at some level, I always said we were kind of doing God's work. Like we worked with these wonderful men and women who drove trucks for us and for themselves um, that fed our families. And it was just an incredible honor to be part of that team. Yeah, I love that. When you came into position, what was the, if you could name one thing that was broken that you immediately tried to fix, what, what would that be? Yeah, so I'm a finance guy by training, a corporate finance guy. So I almost always default to the numbers. And so we had built a financial model and we really clearly understood what the inputs were that were most important to have a profitable trucking company. And so that was my immediate focus. It turns out it was the wrong focus. And Almost immediately, within a month or two, I realized that the thing that really needed addressed at USA Truck was the culture. Mm. And for a finance guy who's really comfortable with Wall Street and really comfortable in spreadsheets, um, you know, culture isn't the first thing that came to, comes to your mind. But we immediately engaged uh, the business in, in reforming the culture at USA Truck. And that's ultimately what led to such great success over the six plus years that we, that we did it. Got it. As a finance person, a finance guy, as you called yourself, what are some of those inputs? Because there's a lot of people who are here who are looking to grow their businesses. What are some of those inputs that are important to, you know, have a successful trucking company? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think at USA Truck or any large carrier, it may be a little different than if you're running one or three or five trucks, but the fundamentals are the same. So in this order, orders a magnitude difference between these inputs. So I'm going to say them in the most important order. The first thing is to get the price right. Um, I had a great conversation with Mike Jardine, who's the CEO of Heartland, when I got the job, and he gave me wonderful advice. He said, be proud of your price, price appropriately, and never concede on price. And some of the people that might be listening uh, to to the show here may find themselves in a spot market environment where they don't have locked up pricing on a consistent basis. You have to get priced right in the market. So that was point number one. Point number two is to seat all your trucks. 
unutilized mm. assets in the transportation business. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that our family has a cattle ranch. It's really true in all asset-based businesses. So a cattle ranch is an asset business, right? You got right. all these cows, right? Um, trucking business is very similar. You have to utilize the assets. And so there's two components of that. The first one is to have the truck seated. You cannot afford to have a truck not seated. So you've got to have a driver in that truck. And then the third factor, which is related to that one, is utilization. I think people sometimes think, oh, you got to put miles, 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 miles. Miles at the wrong price or a truck that's unseated will hurt you more than running low miles any day of the week. Mm. And so just to recap, it was pricing, it was seating trucks, and it was utilizing those trucks. Got it. I love it. How'd you begin to build culture? Yeah, so that's maybe my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> so we did a two-day seminar where we brought in an outside consultant that I had met that helped us kind of facilitate a conversation. And day one, we took, there's this really good book that anybody can read. It's called Leading Change by an author named John Cotter. He's a professor at the Harvard Business School. Don't let that dissuade you from reading the book. It's a really good book. And he gives you a framework for change. And one of the things he talks about is creating a change coalition. So we identified 30, about 30 people. It was actually 29, somebody dropped out, but 30 people who we considered influential in the company. Uh, we had drivers, we had uh, fleet managers, we had executives. It didn't matter what your title was. We just looked for people that were influential in forming the culture of the business. Day one was all about them. We taught them how to do goal setting in their own lives. We taught them how to identify what their priorities were, what their values were, what they cared about. Just helping people kind of be contemplative about what matters in their life. We spent a whole day on that. Day two, we said, okay, all that stuff we taught you about yourself, we want you to apply it to the company. And so the outcome from this session, and this is gonna sound a little overwhelming, but we had a vision statement, we had a mission statement, and we had 13 values, which is too many. Mm. Let me backtrack for a second. The CEO who had been there before me had put mission, vision, and values in the lobby, but they were given, I always say, like the Ten Commandments from God to Moses. He declared them to the company. And that's the wrong way to do it. You have to engage your employees. So we engaged our employees. We had 13 values. Um, that's way too many. And so we took it to our comp the entire company, so including all of our drivers. Everybody had a voice in the formation of our culture, and that's how we started. Mm, got it. How did culture directly impact your bottom line? Wow, that is such a hard question to answer. I mean, how did it impact our bottom line? It had everything to do with our bottom line. Could you quantify that living the values had XYZ impact on your bottom line? That's really tough to do. And so it does take a leap of faith at some point. Like you've got to believe that business fundamentally is about human beings. And once we figured that out, our business took off. And so while it's really hard to quantify like a specific number or cause and effect, I have 100% faith and confidence that that was the thing that led the turnaround. And I should have said this earlier, the company was in dire straits for 12 straight years, lost money. Wow. And we ended up by the time we left having, you know, multiple record consecutive quarters. I don't remember. It was nine or 10 consecutive record quarters. So they just kept building on each other, record profitability. And some of that was during the peak of this freight market that we had. And a lot of it was not during the peak. And so I just, I believe that the culture was everything to the change. Got it. What was the most difficult challenge for you during your tenure there? I mean, there were lots of things that were hard. Um, Dude, I just met you. You're going to make me cry. I don't want to be emotional about this. As the CEO of a company, whether it's public or private, 
nobody told me to do this. Um, but if I ever had a driver die mm. in the line of work, I went to the funeral. I went to every one of them. Yeah. Now, if they had a heart attack or a suicide, which unfortunately happens occasionally in trucking, um, I didn't attend those, not because I didn't have respect for them, but if somebody was killed in the line of work in a collision or something, I was always there. And I always expected that it would be a negative experience, like the family would be upset with me or something. And it, it always just built my faith in humanity. They were always so grateful for the job. They were always so grateful for the culture we had developed. They were always... They were always so grateful that their spouse or loved one had had the opportunity to be a part of our company. And it, it never was negative. It was always incredible. But that was the hardest thing. Like, nobody wants to get that call in the middle of the night that somebody they care about has passed away. And I, I mean, you can poll my guys. I'd say 99.9% .9 of them would tell you that I treated them like family. And, and they were to me. And I miss them. Yeah, no, for sure. That, that definitely has to be tough. And I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. So uh, you were there for, at USA Truck for how many years? Like six and a half years. Six and a half years. Um, overall, enjoyed the experience? Oh, my gosh. It was one of the most important experiences of my life. I, I, I was not a great leader all the time. I, <laughs> I had some instances where I pounded some tables, where I raised my voice at people. And, and when I used that word contemplative earlier, I, I tried to be that way. I tried to figure out why do I behave the way I behave and why do I do the things I do? And it was just such an important formative time in my own life. And to share that with, it sounds corny, but to share that with thousands of people that, that, that I got to invest in, in them as human beings, like it was the best. Yeah. So lately you made a transition. Yeah. Right. So tell, tell me about that. What was that about? What was the catalyst for, you know, moving, moving on from USA truck and then, uh, Kodiak. Yeah. So it was kind of crazy. So, um, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Like I fix companies and sell them, but um, I had sold a couple of public companies. So I had been part of a public sale back in 2010 and you know, we got approached by DB Shanker, which is the fourth largest logistics company in the world. Um, and they were interested in expanding their U S operations. Um, they specifically were interested in USA truck. And over the course of 2021 and 2022, we consummated a deal with them. It was never their plan to have the CEO stick around. And so I was out with the acquisition. Right, so. right, right. Got you. So when D.B. Shanker acquired the company, there was no longer a need for the CEO. And it was great. It was great for our family. It was great for our community. It was great for all of our people. I mean, it was wonderful. Um, but I was kind of on the outside looking in. And I wasn't sure if I was going to keep working. I'm only 50 years old, so I kind of have a lot of gas left in the tank. And so I had a bunch of opportunities I was kind of working through. And then Don Burnett from uh, Kodiak, uh, Kodiak Robotics calls me and says, Hey, cause we were a customer of theirs. Right. Okay. And he says, Hey, you're like this unique character. You spent half your career in Silicon Valley, half your year in trucking. And you know, would you be interested in coming over? And so uh, it really wasn't that hard of a decision to make. He came out, visited with me and my wife. And, and ultimately I decided that with my tech background, and my trucking background, there, there maybe wasn't anybody that was better suited from an industry representation standpoint to go be part of the kind of autonomy, you know, evolution. And so I asked myself, I kind of hemmed and hawed for a while. And ultimately, I asked myself, if you get 100 peop smart people in the room and you don't time bound this at all and just think, like, is autonomy coming? 100 smart people would say absolutely it's coming and so that for me was the ultimate catalyst to say yeah i gotta go do this yeah no make makes a lot of sense so 
coming from USA Truck, building that strong culture of, of drivers, right? It may sound a little counterintuitive for you to now go into self-driving trucks. So how, how was that transition? And, and let's talk about kind of the work, you know, when you, when you started with the company, what was their mission and how does that impact those drivers and, you know, the people that you once served, right? So just kind of talk about that kind of that balance. That juxtaposition, yeah, yeah, that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a little bit of adjustment. There. Yeah. So it's crazy. So I, I'll admit it's a great question because it was one of my concerns. Like, because genuinely, I mean, I would do anything for these drivers. Um, and they know that. And they, I still talk to tons of them. Um, and I thought, man, this perception wise, this may look like we're trying to eradicate the driver. And that is not what autonomy is about at all. Um, when you asked what was the mission, and I mean, I, I'm still pretty new. I haven't totally committed it to memory. But at the end of the day, you know, Kodiak is committed to creating the safest driver on the road, which is great for everybody, right? And if you think about what the implications mean, it means that safety is the absolute most important thing that we're working on at Kodiak. And being able to deliver a robotic solution that is safer than anything else that's available in the world is the ultimate goal of the organization. Now... What does that mean to drivers? Well, nobody really knows, but there are a couple things that are pretty interesting. You know, one is it will change the freight dynamics, right? Um, it will create a safer driver that can do certain segments of, of, of the freight. We're focusing on the middle miles, what we call it, but it's traditional truckers would call it kind of the long haul section of, 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 of traditional truckload moves. Yep. Um, but there's a shortage of drivers in the industry. We all know that. For sure. There, there are, I was with, you know, Craig Harper from J.B. Hunt yesterday uh, out in Dallas. And I don't remember what the study was, but he cited a study that said something like, and I'm paraphrasing here, by 2035, we'll need another 400,000 drivers. Like, that problem's not going to be solved by by ginning up additional drivers. And so autonomy, I think, really serves to bolster the driver community in a way that's super meaningful, but uh, the replacement of the driver is not the issue at the end of the day. Got it. So for, for you and when you guys think of autonomy, is because maybe everybody doesn't understand what an autonomous truck world looks like, right? Yeah. Is there a driver still in a truck, right? Is there like a like like when someone flies a plane, right? That plane is flying automatically, but there's still a pilot, Yeah. right? To take off and land. Is that how autonomous trucks look? Like, give us an idea what that looks and like how that directly impacts those CDL holders right now. Yeah, for sure. So what's interesting at Kodiak, we have a bunch of CDL holders that are safety drivers, right? So today our trucks are on the road uh, every day moving freight uh, in, in some pretty uh, popular commercial lanes. And we have a, a driver whose hands are hovering over the wheel, but ostensibly that truck is driving itself for most of that move. Wow. And so that's happening today. I like the, the comparison you made to airlines. It's very similar. But to be clear, the goal is to have drivers out of the truck uh, and a solely a rope, essentially they, it's a robot, but it's a computer uh, robot driving the truck from point to point. Now, I think the question is maybe better than you even realize because a lot of autonomous companies aren't clear about what their objective looks like. They call it their ODD, so kind of their operating domain, uh, or I might call it their plan of record. But what it's going to look like, it, for us anyway, is we will have somebody do uh, the, the, the inbound move and the outbound move to a truck port, 
which let's think of it as an area that we start and end the load and the truck will go fully autonomous from there onto the freeway. It'll drive its route off of the freeway to a landing area and then another, a driver will get back in the truck and take over from there. So we don't have a vision of a driverless world uh, ever at this point. It's not in our ODD. Got it. Got it. I love that. All right. Uh, what's the next question? I had? Oh, okay. What are some of the challenges that you've been having? I mean, you, you said you're pretty new. Yeah. What, this was like a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I I've mean, known him for a while. Right. You, you, you have the relationship, yeah. but you're still new in the company in, in your role. So, I mean, obviously you get in there, you're kind of looking over things and seeing what's going on. So where are some of the, the, the challenges? What are some of the voids? What's, what's the company missing? What are you going to bring to the company? Talk about some of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, surprising to me, uh, the company, I guess I kind of expected to find like this fraternity, like, like really <laughs> smart PhDs in, in, you know, robotics, you know, staring at the stars and they're just not that way. Like these are super, super practical people. You know, you've probably heard the phrase before. If you can't explain something simply, then you just don't understand it well enough. <laughs> right. These guys, they, uh, guys and gals, you know, with PhD, literally with PhDs in computer science and robotics and other just amazing things that I'm not smart enough to do, they can explain autonomy in very crisp, very clear terms. So in terms of the technology, we're very, very close to having the product done, like 2023. Okay. Um, the next thing, and I wouldn't say we're missing, it's just the next thing in the arc of the development is then to fully build the safety case so that we have data and miles and experience that clearly demonstrates that this is the safest thing on the road. We're not going to put a product out there that's not safe. And so that's, you know, ultimately what the goal is. My job to the furtherance of your question is really to work with the commercial team and the operations team, everything not involved with creating the tech, but bringing it to market. So they really aren't missing a lot. I mean, we're thinking very clearly and very thoroughly and very thoughtfully about, you know, how this works in the context of existing trucking framework, whether it's the lanes, the network, the truck stops, the ports, the refueling, the maintenance, all of that. It's kind of my job to think through that. And they have a really capable team that's miles ahead of where I expected them to be. Got it. What, what does safety look like? I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, obviously a lot of times, even with, you know, drivers on the road, they'll say it's not the truck, it's everybody else. Yeah. Right. It's not the truck driver who's the problem. It's the person on the bike or it's the little car that's, you know, driving erratically, whatever the case may be. How, how, how do you guys kind of plan for that? And how, how does that work with autonomous in, in, in that world? Because safety has to be a major concern. I mean, it's everything, right? I mean, we, we, if we're not safe, we don't have, a, we don't have a, a roadmap, right? So I think in really practical terms, and I don't want to get, I'll get as techie as you want me to get, yeah, yeah, yeah. but in practical terms, the system that we've built relies ultimately on perception. So our system's a little different than the other solutions that are out there. Uh, and by perception, I mean, and I don't mean to imply that the truck's anything like a human because it's not. It doesn't understand that that's Sally on a bicycle, but it does recognize there's an object in my field of view. I need to plan for that object and I need to monitor that object and make sure that my plan accounts for anything that object does. So in technical terms, you know, our system is planning ahead every millisecond, 10 times a second. Um, 
identifying what route it should take and how it should proceed based on the, its surroundings. Now, remember, our plan is to fundamentally be on the highway, but if a bike were there, we would recognize it as an object moving at a certain velocity, at a certain angle, at a certain you know speed, and then we would you know determine how to deal with that in, in, in the perception of the vehicle. Got it. Do you guys have any type of moat or anything that differentiates you from the other autonomous vehicles out there that makes you stand out in the technology that you can speak to? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's funny. It's like we said earlier, I wasn't really sure I was going to go back to work. Um, and so it had to be something really compelling that was going to get me, you know, away from my family and, and back in the day to day grind. There are two things to me that are most compelling about Kodiak's system. The first one is the mirror pods. So we have been very vocal from the onset that all of our sensing technology, sensor technology will be in the mirrors themselves. So we have, you should go see the truck. It's here at, at, at Manifest. Um, all of the sensors ultimately will be moved down. We still have one in the center of the truck, but will be moved down to the mirror pods. That is compelling for a lot of reasons. One, it mounts into an OEM, a normal OEM mounting bracket for a, a mirror. So we don't have to make any structural reinforcements or anything like this. The, the unit weighs, I don't know, somewhere around 50 pounds. It can be easily replaced if, if there's a bird strike or there's a repair that needs to be done. So you're not going to have downtime in your fleet. It's inherently scalable because it, if you look at it in these, through these lenses, it looks kind of like a computer almost, which to me, as somebody that worked in that space for years and years and years, it can be produced at high volume in contract manufacturing. Some of our competitors have these rather complex sensor suites that I don't know how they're going to put them on and remove them and repair them and all that stuff, but we have a competitive advantage there. So that's point number one. Right. Point number two is we use, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, what's called sparse mapping. Most of our competitors are using HD mapping, which if you're in a big city, you'll see cars driving around, driving around, driving around, mapping, 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 mapping. And they're creating an environment that ostensibly the the compute, the perception systems of the truck are using the mapping to orientate itself to where it is relative to the map, which is fine. It's kind of like driving by looking at your map and driving this way, which is <laughs> fine as long as the map is correct, right, right? right? But as soon as the map's wrong, you have to have perception. You've got to be able to perceive first that the map doesn't match what you're seeing, and then you've got to be able to do something about it, right? Well, in sparse mapping, we drive a lane structure once. We determine the lanes, we put them into our mapping and then we drive. We don't have to map and remap and map and remap and map and remap. And because of that, we don't need as ma many mapping professionals. We don't need as much overhead. We can scale much faster. So I know that kind of got wonky there for a bit, <laughs> but between the mirror pods and the sparse mapping, we have a real competitive advantage that in both cases allow us to scale faster and go to market better. So we think it's really compelling in the marketplace. Got it. How important is cybersecurity? It's yeah. everything. Well, if safety is everything, then cybersecurity That's is, like next, is right? prime. Yeah. So we are really, really lucky. Uh, we have a chief information security officer who maybe came. You can look him up. I don't want to say it over, over the air, but, okay. but it, it's all public. He came from one of the world's largest uh tech companies. He, you know, is the tech advisor for the Olympics. Like this guy is legit in every way. And he's kind of a legend in Silicon Valley. And he's leading our efforts to harden our technology from a cybersecurity standpoint, because I mean, everybody's seen that video. I think it's like a 2014 Jeep Cherokee or something where guys like hacked into it through the radio. Like that cannot happen right. uh, with, with a, a robot. And I'm not saying 
like it's not possible. I'm saying it cannot happen. Right, it cannot happen. It's our job to make sure uh, that that has all been thoroughly vetted and tested. And we've got the best guy on the planet literally on our team. So pretty awesome. Gerhardt's his name. Gerhardt? Okay. Is he is he South African? No, uh, he's uh, Austrian. Austrian. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the small fleet owner watching this this video right now. How how do they compete? How do they get? How do they ingratiate these self driving trucks into their fleet? What does it look like for them in the future? Mm. Right, because I know a lot of the larger fleets are going to obviously you know event you know have the the autonomous vehicles, but for the smaller fleet owners, right, which we talked about earlier, like they represent the 90, 90 some percent of the trucking industry. Right. How, how do they be, how do they get in the game? Yeah. So I don't know if they get in autonomy. Ultimately, I think what they do is they play in the ecosystem where they're most competitive and that, you know, that's no different than without autonomy, right? Like, and, and as we were talking before we started recording, you know, I, I think people need to understand what they're good at. Some guys are good at drayage. Some guys are good at long haul. Some guys are good at flatbed. Some guys like know what you're good at right. and be the best at it. And you will be able to compete. That That's one. Two, you know, I, I'm going to round down because the math's just easier. Um, but there's about 200,000 trucks produced each year in this country. It's actually a little bit higher than that. But like I said, it's easy from a math standpoint. For every truck in America to be an autonomous vehicle, that means every truck produced for the next 20 years would have to be an autonomous. That's not <laughs> happening, right? That's never right. going to happen. Right, right, right. And so I think it's, I really do think it's a point of just competitive differentiation, knowing what you're good at, doing it really, really well, and being a great business person. So is it, is it safe to say to that same small fleet owner that they're okay, right? Like your, your, your job is not going to be eradicated due to autonomous vehicles. Look, I'm no soothsayer. I, 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 or there's, still, there's still a place for you. I th- we think so. I speaking for Co- on Kodiak's behalf, we think so. Thinking as myself, James Reed, you know, th- my opinion, I don't see a world where we don't have a need for so many of the great services that are provided. And you know, if you think about what the ramp of this technology is likely to look like, we're talking about maybe tens of thousands of trucks in the near term, not millions of trucks. Yeah. Got you. So what are you guys looking like currently on production? Just kind of give us an idea what high level, what Kodiak has got going on today. Yeah. I mean, look, we're still a development company, right? So we're ostensibly, I've used that word a lot now. Maybe I should use a different word. <laughs> I like but, it. I'm going to add it. To but I'm mind. using it the right way. Um, effectively, we are a research and development company at this time, right? We're still pre-revenue by just about any measure. Um, so from a production standpoint, we have, you know, a couple dozen trucks. We're, we're, we're not building a gigantic fleet. It's not our intent to compete with fleet owners. It's our intent to develop the technology. So that's kind of where we are. You know, 2023 is a really important year because we're going to launch our first commercial truck port that we talked about earlier. Um, you know, we will be feature complete on the product we expect, and then we'll go into just heavy, heavy, heavy ongoing validation, which we already do. Um, I think the other side or another element for people to consider, and this maybe isn't as important to the small fleet owner, but, you know, we recently awarded a military contract uh, with the Defense Innovation Unit, which is just an incredible uh, opportunity for us to deploy this technology uh, in the armed forces. It's for the Army. This is all public information. We're doing a really cool thing that leverages most of our technology. And so, you know, that's a $50 million contract that was recently announced. So we're kind of unique in the autonomy space because of our sparse mapping technology and our ability to ramp and scale more quickly. This is 
sure evidence that, that what I said is true. Mm, got it. All right. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I have one more question for you before you go. Actually, two more questions. Okay. First question is, give me another leader in transportation and logistics you think I should interview and why? That's another... doing amazing things like yourself. Well, <laughs> there are so many people just out there. Just give me one. Do you just want one? Just one. I mean, a guy that I really admire is uh, Derek Leathers at Werner. I don't know if you ever talked to Derek. Um, I felt a little bit unique in the trucking space as a guy that had a tech background. Um, and, and so I, I kind of think that I think of the problem set differently than a lot of other people think about it. But Derek has been the most open-minded uh, the most uh, progressive in terms of thinking about how we kind of do some judo to use the technology to improve the transportation industry. And uh, he's super driver friendly, s super smart. I, I admire him in a lot of ways. I love that. And then the second thing will just be your final thought. So we always do a final thought here, which is basically something just from the heart. You could come from wherever you want to come from, right? It could be on the business side. It could be spiritual. Just something to leave the audience with just a little bit of a jewel to drop before you leave. So, and then finally, we'll let everybody know where to connect with you directly and also learn more about Kodiak. So yeah. let's start with the final thought. Yeah, well, that wasn't in the questions that I saw. So <laughs> you're kind of catching me, but that's, that's super cool. Look, I have a whole bunch of axioms that I use all the time, but maybe for this audience, the one that I would, would say is, no one cares about your success as much as you do. You know, I, I, I care about you, uh, but I don't care about you as much as you do. And, and people need to remember that, that, and I'm not saying to be cavalier. I'm not saying to be uh, standoffish with people. I'm not saying not to trust people. You absolutely should. But at the end of the day, no one cares about your success as much as you do. And, and you can create uh, a legacy that you want to create. Nobody else gets to control that. That's something you get to control. So. That's right. And where can people connect with you directly and where can they learn more about Kodiak? Yeah, so Kodiak is all over social media. We're, in, uh, we're, we're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. We're on uh, Instagram. I, I think our, our media people will probably <laughs> blow me up and say, yeah, you got that. You botched that. Um, but just go look for us. You'll right, find us right, on all the social right, media right. platforms. Um, my email, I don't mind giving out, is j.read at Kodiak.ai. That's j.read at Kodiak.ai. And, uh, you know, I can be hit up on social media, too. I'm still VB Trucker 8. Okay. Um, and that's uh, for Van Buren Trucker 8 was my college baseball number. Uh, VB is where USA Trucks base. So, again, it's VB Trucker 8. Got it, man. Well, listen, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. I had fun. I got to learn, about, learn a lot about you and learn more about Kodiak. So, Hustle Fam, you know what we do around this time. If you smell something burning, it's only a desire. Myself and James Reed from Kodiak, we are out of here. <laughs> if you twisted, confused, or stuck about trucks, don't be dumb. This is the place to come. Truck and hustle. Let's go.